Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Hello and welcome to IRC Book Club for the fourth part of our discussion of Inked by Jeb Blunt. Today, two, as I've already told you, grumpy middle-aged men will discuss a book written by a man who seems much more upbeat than us. Mike, have you been getting on with Inked by Jeb Blunt? Not bad. The the thing about Inked by Jeb Blunt is it's a bit like the Lamborghini 4x4. It's made by Lamborghini, so you expect it to be great. Right, okay. But it's just not quite delivering in the same way that Chris Voss's book did. But it's a very different take on sales negotiation because it's much more about being a salesperson. Well, for those of you who are still listening, what's interesting is the listening numbers on this book have been low. And I think that I looked at the analytics the other day um, and I think that's two reasons. One is we're on lockdown. And so our audience who lives in their cars are not in their cars. Yes. So we've had a 50% reduction in numbers. And two, I do wonder the extent to which as a book and as an author, this one just hasn't quite caught the imagination of our audience. And Possibly it'd be good to get some feedback, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's why I'm mentioning it. I'd, I'd love to hear from some of our listeners as to what they think and where they're coming from with it uh, as a book. Next month, our book is going to be Influence by... Well, that's not coming up because I've got my stupid Zoom background on. Influence by Robert B. Chialdini, The Psychology of Persuasion. And I'm before we begin our discussion of this last two sections of the Jeb Blunt book. I'm very excited about this one, actually, and I hope that our audience that are listening will will read along. This is a book I've been dying to read, Mike, for Have you not read ages. it before? No. Oh, you know, we talked about the chimp paradox the other week. I had read it. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, uh, it, it's just it, literally, in, in Mike Price style, it has literally fallen out of my brain. Um, and the, the back section so that for those of you who are with us can go out get on amazon now influence the classic book on persuasion explains the psychology of why people say yes and how to apply these understandings could anything be more important to our audience than that at any point you know yeah covid or non-covid it doesn't get more important if you're in sales the psychology of why people say yes and how to apply it it doesn't get more important every other sales book. And, and what's really interesting is, you know, he's got 35 years of evidence-based research along with a three-year program of study on what moves people to change behavior. You'll learn the six universal principles, how to use them to become a skilled persuader and how to defend yourself against them. Perfect for people in all walks of life. The principles of influence will move you towards profound personal change and acts as a driving force for your success. And I'm, 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 I'm very excited about this one. I find that when we cover these books, we get much higher listener volumes. So I'm excited because I'm egotistical and driven by that kind of stuff. Um, And I'm excited because for me, we've gone through a lot of sales books. A lot of them have been written by 
people that are all part of a very similar social media pod and they all have a very similar theme and there is a theme in the market which is to not talk about to be fair to Jeb he's probably closest to it than most but it's fashionable to not talk about the nuts and bolts of persuading somebody to do something they wouldn't ordinarily have considered doing so I'm excited about that so well, let's get to- back to this one Absolutely. So we've got chapters or sections six and seven. And this was my segue into section six, which is sales negotiation communication. And he does pick up on some interesting things in in this bit. What have you made of these last two sections of the book, Mike? Um, well, let's go through them. I thought the middle set, the one we did last week was the best bit, actually. Um, so on this one, we're on chapter whatever it's 27, seven rules of effective sales, sales, negotiation, communication, page 202. It says people, this is a header. Uh, It says people responding kind. Yeah. I've put, do they? Go on. What do you mean? I've highlighted, I've highlighted that in blue to actually talk to Jeb about that. Cause you make some very bold and sweeping statements that don't seem to be based on any form of research. Yes, there there are. There's a, I've written later on, there's a couple of quite sweeping generalizations. Yeah, people responding kind, half a page. That's done. Really? I don't think that's how people communicate, really, to be perfectly honest. I think there's a much deeper uh, conversation to be had there. But then a lot of the other of his seven points are very true, you know. To, to know what other people are thinking, they must tell you. That's fair enough. That's about asking questions. And there's some good stuff in in this chapter, I thought. Communication fails if the other party is thinking about your behaviour rather than the deal. It's subtle but very yeah, good. Yeah, I, I think that's very subtle but but very very key. Is you know it, he said it's easy to get into arguments, become rude or disrespectful, display arrogance, get angry, be nervous. So the point is, you know, if you're nervous walking in, there's an element of bandwidth mentally taken up by the person that you're negotiating with by the sheer nature of your nervousness. Yeah, you're not concentrating on negotiating, you're concentrating on something else. That's his yeah. point. And, it's very and fair, it takes up very both fair. your and their bandwidth. Or if you're being manipulative, or if you're lying, or if you're arrogant, or whatever. And the, the point he's making is you can't make any part of your verbal or non-verbal communication part of that conversation. And then he talks about do not allow silence to intimidate you. Oh, you I ruled that through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's bang right. But I, I, I mean, we don't, I don't meet that many people who are that skilled in using silence. Do you know what's interesting is I'm doing a project for a US company at the minute Yeah. who are looking for a salesperson in the US. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, as an average, I'd love to do a study. Well, I can't bother to do a study, so I'm going to make a generally, uh, a, a very broad generalizing statement like Jeb does. The Americans talk a lot more than the English. Really? Unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. I was involved in final interviews for this client, um, and then I'm doing another project for him, but the, the final interview guys I'd had nothing to do with. One of the uh, candidates, one of the guys that was doing the interview, asked the candidate a question. I'm not exaggerating. The candidate spoke for 22 minutes. <laughs> He'd been what? talking for a long time anyway after each question. So I thought, I'm just going to time this one and see how, how long it goes on. He spoke for 22 minutes uninterrupted. Did he breathe at all? Was he going blue nope. at the end? Nope. Right. 
I mean, 20... And, and bear in mind, it was on video as well, so it made it even harder for him. He spoke for 22 minutes. That was incredible. I'm surprised you didn't do that thing that you sometimes do in the office to people that are talking to you when you don't want them to talk, where you put your, your, your palm out in front of their I'll face. just walk away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I absolutely. Walk. I couldn't... These guys pay me by the hour, so I couldn't do that. Yeah, you're on a day rate, so you've got to keep your mouth shut. And then he, Jeb talks about this thing called ACE, which for me... I get it. And it's a nice little model. Analyzer, director, consensus builder, energizer. DISC is my thing. Uh, I really like DISC. It's simple and it's effective and it's data validated. I've actually understood that then. I don't think that's DISC. Yeah, what he's doing is he's creating his own type of DISC profile because he doesn't want to use DISC because he doesn't have the IP for it. Well, it's interesting. I didn't know that. But what I put a massive blue circle as then to discuss with Jeb was... I mean, it's quite nice, but what is this, like half a page, you know, a few pages in a That's, book? Well, I wrote, I do not like this. It's kind of simple, but it messes with my knowledge, my knowledge of disk. It, it, it's light. I think if what you're looking for is the ability to categorize the psychological type of individual that you're in a call with, there are better models and what I would advise, uh, and I've recommended it on the show before is an app called Crystal Nose, um, which is really good. And I do use often, sometimes I'll use it when I'm matching to a job and it's worth, uh, it's actually, I, I was thinking the other day, I actually cancelled it when the COVID-19 um, thing broke. And then I realised the other day, one of the placements I'm going to put on the board this week, it's absolutely because I use that app. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that, but I just thought that, that that was four pages, which again should have been a book. It's a book in its own right. You know, you, people, That's what go, I mean, yeah. people go on training on disc, as on the disc methodology, exactly. Mike. It's a five-day course. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and, and or I did on Myers-Briggs. Feel, I did feel like a few chapters were like this. You know, the next one, chapter 29, Empathy and Outcome. There's so much underneath there that you either need knowledge of, you know, yeah. sales EQ. He's written empathy. a book on sales EQ, to be fair. Yeah, but it's all crammed into half a page there. You know, you talk about empathy. You know, you were a Samaritan, I was a Samaritan. Uh, building empathy is a three, you know, is, is three days worth of training. Yeah. Well, how many? Actually, yeah. it's several. Actually, learning to respond with empathy is two, three good days of training. Yeah, Definitely. exactly. Um, and then chapter thirty, the same seven keys of effective listing. That's a book in itself. I thought they're all very good points in it. You know, be prepared, be intentional, attention control, be present, active listening. You know, active listening gets half a page. <laughs> gets half a page. I just thought, what? Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, really, what's interesting here is. I feel like we're going off piece a bit with it. Yeah, yeah. It's just tacked it onto the end. Now, it's not to say that what he's put there is wrong. I, I agree with him. I, I actually you know, wrote on page 232, we're padding it out here for the word count. I thought so, yeah. I mean, he's absolutely right. Will, will having empathy and using active listening help you when you're negotiating? Yep. Of course it No will. doubt about it. Of course but you it can't will. learn that in a few pages in the back of a book that you're bored of reading anyway. No. And it, he, he, he does, interestingly, later on talk about over-empathising and sympathising, not empathising. 
which I thought was a very useful distinction. And he talks then about the self-disclosure loop and getting people to talk about themselves. And he's got like this little sales negotiation skills model. Um, and then we get onto this next bit, the four parts of the deal sales negotiation conversation framework. And I like this, discover, explain, align, lock. And I okay. quite liked that actually, as a simple model of where am I in this negotiation right now? Discover, am I at discover, explain, align, or lock point? What page are you on? I'm on page 240, MP. Right, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah and I, I got you. I like that model. I, I just thought that was simple and elegant. And, if, yes. and, and, and something that I could follow, I could write that. For me, I like things that work in the heat of battle. Yes, I, I, I think a lot of people do. You know, it's a simple, easy process, isn't that it? That I could write on the top of my notebook. I no longer use a notebook. I use Apple Pencil and Tablet. But I could write on the top of my Apple Notes page before I walked into a meeting, I could write, discover, explain, align, lock. Mm. And I could look up at the top whilst I'm making notes and thinking and talking, thinking, where am I right now? Right, I'm at discover stage. Right. Okay. I do agree. It's a shame it's at the back of the book, really. Yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. And it sort of kind of feels like spin, situation, problem, implication, need, but it's a model. And I think that if you were walking into a negotiation tomorrow, if I had to go see a customer and talk about, I don't know, a big contract for a managed services deal for IRC, I would, do you know what? I'd probably get this book back out and actually I'd write that down, discover, explain, align, lock. I agree completely. Yeah. And, and I would spend some time during the meeting thinking, where am I in my framework now? Am I, am I actually at a point where I can get to some closing here? But what it really feels like here, and he goes into a bit more detail on discover and talks about sympathy and how sometimes customers can guilt you and how sometimes they use what he calls the carrot gambit, which yep. lots of customer, customers do in recruitment all the time, don't they? I'm going to recruit 50 people next year. Oh, it's a standard, isn't it? Yeah. And actually what he talks about here is some really good stuff, countering, you know, clarify why the buyer made. I really do like that. And I highlighted that 247, Mike. I'm on it, yeah. I mean, I really like the term number two undercounted, diffusing the anchor. I yeah. People are anchored to negotiating. Clarify. Uh, I think just as such a simple question as, hmm, you appear to have uh, asked me to come in at 50% of what we'd initially agreed. I was just wondering if I could invite you to explain to me where you've got that from. Well, in about 2001 or 2002, something like that, you know, what would you have said when you worked at Howard Jackson when they tried to negotiate right at the end of the process? You would have said, I'm, I'm oh, sorry. sorry, was there something wrong with the process? Yeah. Silence. Silence. No. Oh, right. Oh, well, I don't understand but why I, you would want to oh, discount that. But asking a nice, polite, clarifying question after a low ball, I'm wondering if you could just explain to me where that one's come from, because it's not what we talked about earlier. Da -da. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Because a lot of people just, I reckon, panic. <gasps> He's offered me 50% of what I wanted. Yeah, well, you know, it goes a bit more basic than that. I think what a lot of people don't do is listen, pause, clarify. Yes. Can I just make sure you know, I listen carefully to what you've just said? So what you'd like me to do is to lower my price by X percent. Is that right? And then shut up. Then shut up. And then see what they say. And then go, right. To, to ensure that I've understood your position, hence his empathy, to ensure I've understood your position, how have you got to that as a number? Yeah. I think you've just overcome most objections, actually. Correct. Well, that comes, to be fair, where you're going down there and we're both going is the Chris Foss thing. How am I meant to do that? 
Yeah, well, see, that's where the two books sort of differ. I think the two books put together would be a great book. Yes, where Chris Voss could rewrite Never Split the Difference is by rewriting it with somebody like Jeb Blunt. Yeah, because Jeb Blunt's a salesman, Chris Voss's a negotiator. Very apparent when you read both books. And actually, they'd both, together, they write the mother of all sales negotiation books. It would be the best one, yeah. Yeah, it would. You're right. You're absolutely right. And then I'm, I'm on page 254 now. He talks about this thing that he calls the weight. Uh, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? <laughs> I like that. It's true, Why am yeah. I talking? Wait. And I think that's another one I really, really like that. If you wrote that along with the other framework on the top, I, I, I'm a big fan of writing like little things on the top of my page before I go into a meeting. That's I do like cute. that. I've currently, I don't know if you can little see this. Cues. Peel it off the side of a monitor. I hate post-it notes. No, you can't see it. Uh, what does it say? Oh, it does. Go. What does it there say? So I've also, uh, at this current time, I'm rereading uh, The Unfair Advantage. Right. And it talks about the engineered selling process that it's got written down. Fair play. Um, and, I, and I just got that on the side of a monitor just to remind me, actually, where are we at in the engineered selling process? Now, I've been speaking to some clients that know me really well, actually, so I don't need an invitation. I've already developed the relationship. So we're at that point. But actually, I'm going to do some new prospecting this afternoon and tomorrow. And actually, getting an invitation to speak is going to be important. But getting back to your point, it's just a quick reminder, isn't it, that says, what's going on here? Yeah. Where am I right now in this situation? Yes. Am I winning? Am I losing? Is it going well? Is it going badly? Where am I at? And I think that's really talking? key. Yeah. Why am I talking? And uh, Well, I, I'm a big fan of if you're talking, you're not making money. Yeah, well, you should have, you know, this, this thing with uh, interviewing the US guys is incredibly eye-opening. Really? And I was talking to, oh, unbelievable. I always, I always had it in my head that I thought the US salespeople were more sophisticated and better than the UK guys. Tell you not. now, that is no. And we're talking senior guys. These good. These are guys that yeah, are a lot these of money. Are, uh, This project's uh, it's big salary stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're really senior guys selling a very complex solution. And I was talking to my client about it. He's very uh, even-tempered. And I said, it's really surprised me how these guys talk. And he was laughing about it. He said, the way that we're still doing it in the States is we're talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking until they buy. Wow. He said, we, he said, we are not uh, digging into needs and selling to needs, which I thought was amazing because I thought that was an American thing. But I'll tell you now, first-hand experience, it's not. Wow. And then, I, I mean, I'm on now. I'm on page 264, Mike. Let's go. So you're, you're going to explain your position. There's some good stuff, I thought, in this chapter. I quite yeah. like these tables. Yeah, I There's thought they were good. Map, price versus total cost of ownership, building the value bridge like yep. all that yeah absolutely and I, I wrote here that's great a lot of it in reality is, is just keep selling yes and i think yes, really the point he's making is when you when you negotiate and you're still winning the deal well that's why jeb's book is better than chris voss's because he's always selling yeah you're still winning whereas, the deal. whereas chris voss never sells he only negotiates yes yeah. And then he talks about alignment and focusing on your sales negotiation map. I like that. You know, he's got some nice little tables, hasn't he? His give-take table. Oh, you took, uh, yeah, I was going to say the give-take playlist I thought was very good and his give-take playlist table. 
Yeah. Uh, his pattern painting, I like that. And then he talks about irregular incre- increments, which is a lovely pattern interrupt, isn't it? Sellers often fall into a predictable pattern of offering concessions in equal imp- increments. For example, they'll reduce the price in 10% increments or £1,000 increments. These patterns serve as signals to the buyer to keep asking for concessions. Once salespeople move into this pattern, it becomes a loop, and the most likely outcome is that they keep dropping their price, 10% or a grand at a time until they hit their bottom limit. It's interesting, that's a poker thing. So um, in poker, what people do is they'll do a three times raise of the, of the big blind, and it's right. predictable, and you can predict it. Whereas if you want to become unpredictable, you just pick random raise numbers. And what, like playing against me? Yeah, so rather than going, oh, right, the big blind's 20 chips, I'll raise 60, or I'll put a 60 raise in, you do 52. And it just, it's a pattern interrupt. It messes with people's heads because they're thinking, well, where, where's he got 52 from? And it just messes with people's thinking, whereas often they'll get automatic in the way they think. And what he's saying is, for example, if they start off with 100 grand and his target zone is 90, then he'll come in at 99.2. And, and he comes in with a number that sounds different, which again is, is covered in the Chris Voss book. Um, but I do really like the way he talks about that. And he gives that a much more sales-driven bent yes. in, in this book, which is really useful. Um, and he gives some different ways of diffusing out because one of them is countering higher which is like a, a, a raise in a poker game. So the client turns, you, you, you go into the customer, the quote, the proposal says 25K, the customer says 20, and you say, I'll tell you what, we'll do it at 35. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he says yeah. he doesn't, he says, I rarely use this tactic, but when I do it, it almost always gets their attention and snaps them out of their pattern. Yes. I mean, he's, he and you make a very fair point about patterns. We all end up in patterns, don't we? Yes. Well, people, I, I often say to people when, we're, when we've been training new starters, what you have to understand is most people do most things in patterns. Um, and yes. we, all run, we all run our little tape in our mind of what to do when situation X begins. And part of the job of a sales professional is to scramble that pattern and interrupt it so that you can then run a new pattern and reprogram the customer. Now, people are going to not like that. That's going to be an unpopular thing to say. Reprogramming the customer, that's manipulative. But that's the fucking game, Mike. I don't think it is manipulative because you and I know, uh, you and I argue a bit about manipulation. I, I, I think that people blindly walk through life, actually. Yes, it, on patterns. They get up in yeah, the morning, yeah. they brush their teeth, they don't even realise they brush their teeth. Well, you know, we're, I think one of the things that this crisis has done is it's shaken a lot of us out of what were very ingrained human patterns. Well, the ingrained human pattern of driving to work. On autopilot. Yeah, I spoke to a client yesterday. He's got three officers. We're talking about it. He said, we just got to get out of our leases. We're going to have one office this time next year. And yeah, I said, I why? He said, he, said, he said, I don't know. We've just sort of all got this thing of driving to work. But actually, we just sort of don't need to anymore. And that's the strongest pattern. Now, on page 284, I can't, yeah. I'd be surprised if you haven't lined this through to talk about it, is takeaways and the scarcity effect. Let's have a look. He the talks about it. About the... 284, power of silence, Do... takeaways and the skit. Yeah, taking it away from the customer. 
yeah, I think it's absolutely 100% one of the best things to do. Because there's got yeah. to come a point at which you've got to turn around to the client and say, listen, I really want to deal with you. But actually, at some point, I've got to make some profit, albeit even if it's so, modest. I'm not going to make a profit at that point, so I've got to walk away now. Yeah, I'm really sorry, but it doesn't wash its face for a second. We're going to have to call it a day. Yeah. Because actually, if you're at the negotiation point, that client, as long as you've understood it, they want to buy what you've got. Correct. They want to buy it. Well, I, I, <laughs> well let's, I'll tell you what then. I'll let the client tell, I'll, I'll tell the client you're going to turn the job down. It, well, yeah, exactly. It's, it's interesting. I used to do, uh, used to train with a guy who worked at Morrison's and it's, I can't remember exactly what he did, but some form of, you know, purchasing and, and something like that. And when I was reading this chapter, I was thinking about him. Let's suppose that the baked bean, the Heinz baked, the Heinz rep sits down with the Morrison's purchasing body the Morrison purchasing body is kicking the crap out of them. They go, and the Heinz guy goes, well, I'll tell you what, we've just got to walk away then. Well, and then when we're correct. doing our shopping, I can go to Tesco's where I can buy my Heinz baked beans and everything else, or Morrison's where I can only buy Morrison's or Branston baked beans. Correct. Where are we going to go? Gav worked at Coke and he was saying a large part of that relationship is about, manage- it's, it's about managing the fact that actually you have something they need. Correct, yeah. So, uh, um, so, so Jeb would say, listen, Gav, don't let them kick you around too much. Just walk away. Yeah, because actually what use is a supermarket without bottles of Coke on the shelf? People will go there and go, oh, you've no Coca-Cola. I'll go somewhere else next week. Correct, yeah, correct. So you've got power. And I think a lot of salespeople forget that they've got power. And it's, it's an irony, isn't it? Because you would think it's the more commoditized markets that have the least power. Whereas actually that's untrue. It's a commodity because people want it. Yeah, they need, they consume it. Correct. So I can't remember what page you're on after our little uh, I, I like his outage. little bit here. I liked his little what? bit here, 284, the flinch and pause. Yes, I, I, I underlined that. Like a plumber's whistle. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to cost you. <laughs> I liked that. A bit like the, uh, the pest removal guy who's come to look at my bee's nest. He did a bit of a... <laughs> These nests, oh, it's not like a wasp's nest, this one, mate. Yeah, they're different. Yeah, different, tricky. Yeah. So the next the, part in Jeb's process bit, is lock it down. Get them to sign on the line that is dotted. Where does it say that? It doesn't. That's, that's a Glen Gary, Glen Ross quote. I know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's the point he's making. Lock it down. Get them to sign on the line that is dotted. Yes. But, at some point, you put a pen in someone's hand. Yeah, you do, yeah. Absolutely, he's absolutely right. And then this chapter is talking about that. Yeah. The discipline to ask is the real secret to getting ink. It's interesting. I was talking to a candidate this morning who's had an offer put on pause because he sells into the retail market. And I said to my candidate, I said, listen, I said to the client, do you still intend to employ this man? And my client went, he went, oh, I'm glad you asked that, Mike. He said, and I mean, this guy sells stuff that costs millions of pounds. And he said, my favorite question is, is do you want to buy this from us? Yes or no? And when the client says yes, he said, <laughs> right, are you going to sign the contract? And he was laughing with me. He said, we go through all this lengthy, this, that, and the other. And he said, that's the question I like the most. Are you going to sign the contract? And if not, why not? Well, it's yeah. the right question though, isn't it? Yeah. Are you going to accept the job? Are you going to offer the candidates a job? 
Yeah, at some point you have to wrap it back to the basics of, listen, we've been talking for about this for a day and a half here now. We've covered a lot. Can we put this to bed now? Do you want to sign the contract? Correct, yeah. Otherwise, you could still be negotiating five weeks. But people will always find something to negotiate over. I think you end up in paralysis by negotiation sometimes. Yes. And that ability to take things away from people, I think, is very powerful. And then he, he gets chapter 37 where he tells a great story about doing some training in India where the guys all say, you don't really understand. It's different here in India. Yes, I read that. Um, and I he's saying it. it's different everywhere. Every, it's your job to understand the vagaries of how people buy and negotiate. It's not the customer's problem. Hmm. And I thought that was a very, very valid point. And he tells a, a, a really interesting story about early in his own career, not understanding the cultural nuances of one of his target markets and not getting it. And his old boy turning around to him and saying, get your head out of your ass. Yes, um, yes, and then, yes. And then the book right, right, wraps up, really. That's the end. The end. That's the end, as they say in France. What would you give this book out to send them? It's a six for me. I'd give it a bit more than that. I'd give it a six and a half. I think, you know, it's an obvious comparison, isn't it? There's so many sales books out there, it's quite hard to compare one sales book to another. But we've got a very easy comparison, this versus Voss's book. Yes. I think Voss's book was better, but... It was more entertaining. Uh, yeah, he's a more entertaining guy, isn't he? Because he's, you know, he's a FBI negotiator, blah, blah, blah. But where Jeb's book scores much higher for me is that it's written by a salesperson. Much more practical. You much know, more practical, much more usable, much more realistic, life-friendly advice. Yes, life-friendly. Because with Voss's book, you know, there's not negotiation. Either the person leaves or the person dies. And yeah. in fairness to Jeb Blount, he says that very early on in his book. He said, it's very different, actually, because what one of a few things can happen. One of them is they just don't buy anything and nobody gets hurt. Yeah. And it's a very different context on the book. I, I felt like Chris Voss's book was very much more... A Haynes manual, whereas whereas this is a bit more like a YouTube review with a bit of Haynes manual chucked in, and I just yes. prefer part of it for that. I felt like the middle section was good. I felt on the negatives, I really feel like Jeb didn't. He put some stuff in that was a much longer subject than he allowed for it. Building empathy was one, and there's loads of others that I think were just much longer subject areas than. That, that, than really he gave time to. Can I ask you something, Mike? Mm. Do, you, do you watch Killing Eve? Uh, I watched the first two. No way I'm going to watch the third. Right. This is Killing Eve season three for me. Oh, right. And that's why I don't Because you know why I don't want to watch Killing Eve season three. Because you've already heard the story in the first season. Yeah, they're just going to tell it again and bloody blah, blah. Who can be bothered? Yeah, it's what they call in rock and roll the difficult seventh album. Um, <laughs> it's it's a good record. People will buy it. People will love it. People will appreciate it. He will be able to go on tour on the back of it and fill some rooms full of fans. He will sell T-shirts, but... Will we look back on it 20 years from now and refer to it as a seminal work? The answer is categorically no. Yes, I'd agree with that. But if I'm Jeb Blunt, I have produced a piece of work that is usable, that if you're a Jeb fan, 
It's definitely another one to add to your Jeb collection. If you're not a Jeb fan, it's worth a listen. Should you go and see him live on the back of this tour? Well, he's already hit, got some hits that are worth hearing from some of the other albums. And this has got a couple of pretty good tracks on it. Yeah, good analogy. like it. That's my metaphor. Uh, but It's it, like it, going it, to watch the Fratellis, isn't it? <laughs> How funny was that when we went as a team? Mm. I'll tell our listeners the story. We, went, we had a team Christmas do a few years ago where the Fratellis played on the night of the Christmas do at the O2 Academy in Leeds. And we thought, we'll go out for dinner, we'll get dressed up in black tie and we'll go and see the Fratellis in black tie because we're just idiots. And we spent the whole night at the bar along with two and a half thousand other people until they played Chelsea Dagger, at which point the whole room rushed forward to the front to hear Chelsea Dagger, all moshed and went crazy. And then the moment they played Chelsea Dagger, everyone left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was bizarre, wasn't it? Most bizarre gig I've ever been to. So as a reminder, we're doing Influence by Robert B. Cialdini. This book, as I say, is one I've been wanting to read for ages. And I'm actually really excited about reading it. It's got little letters as well, Mike. So I know, gonna, I did notice the size of the text. It's got little text. So it's going to take some reading with a pen and paper, but I'm really looking forward to reading it. And I'm really looking forward to talking about it with our listeners. And I'm envisaging that we could be perhaps on our way to being locked down the end of a lockdown or at least some relaxing of a lockdown at which point people might even be able to listen to it in their cars yes absolutely and if you like what you've heard today we want reviews on iTunes really really focused on hitting 100 reviews on iTunes come on if you haven't done it do it and that's the end thank you goodbye goodbye